right at the very beginning of quarantine, I started getting emails from Boston Children's Chorus. My daughter has been involved with BCC for a few years, and there were some things about these emails that really caught my attention. Like, for instance, on the first day that my family started to just stay at home was Friday, March 13th. On that day, we got an email from BC Sings that they had made a decision to suspend its in-person programming. And then just three days later, got another email, March 16th. Self-directed practice this week. Even though we've suspended rehearsals, scroll down to see your choir section to find your specific practice tools, click here for detailed instructions. And you can see an example of BCC staff performing We Sing, which is their kind of their, their song um, in a virtual choir here. You clicked it and you could see staff singing on Zoom together. Just three days later after this happened, they were already playing around. Fast forward four days, four days. There's another email that comes in March 20th. At the very top, there is a image of a video, virtual choir. So you click on it and you see staff and you see students and you see alum singing together. I don't know, maybe 20, 30 people maybe more, singing together virtually. This is on March 20th. This is just a few days after BCC has realized that they're going to have to stop doing what they normally do. And, and this, this kind of blew me away. I, I was really floored by this. You know, what they do is extremely dependent on being in person. What they do, working with children, it, it's, it's really complicated. You can get, you know, 30 kids in a room and you know sometimes these kids are actually a quite quite a bit quite a bit younger but even with high school kids you get them in a room you have to give them direction as a group you have to give them individual direction you have to get them synchronized you have to keep their attention you know this is this is really tough and you know the reality is that um bcc is not a is not a squishy uh, organization you know, when you go to see their performance, they are impressive, really impressive. There's a lot of rigor that goes into this work. You know, I, I've seen them perform, this, the, the children perform at Symphony Hall in Boston, at the Institute of Contemporary Art, at the, John, at the Ted Kennedy Library. Uh, these are performances to hundreds of people, gorgeous music, sometimes original music. What the BCC pulls off is hard. So I saw these emails and I just thought, no way. How did they do this? How did they do this so quickly? What I saw from the Boston Children's Chorus and a few other people and places in those early days of quarantine is really what seeded the idea for this podcast. We have some idea about what comes next, what comes next for learning how to sing, what comes next for getting my diploma, what comes next for learning this trade I'm doing or whatever. But nobody really knows exactly how to change 
what they're doing as a learner or a teacher or whatever for it to go the way they need it to go. And, you know, BCC, seeing this, seeing this happen in such a big and frankly successful way, this virtual choir thing they pulled off five days into the pandemic response is, is impressive. So I was really, really thrilled when I reached out to the Boston Children's Chorus and they agreed to talk with me. What comes next is my conversation with three wonderful staff uh, at the BCC, and I'm very excited uh, to have them be the centerpiece of this first episode of An Imperfect Map. My name is Jason Gorman, and here's the first episode. Oh, no, wait, before we start out, obviously, there's one more thing that needs to happen. You should hear what this sounds like. So I'm going to play 20 or 30 seconds, and I just need to add here that I, uh, I am not an audio engineer. In fact, I don't know anything about uh, creating, editing, or publishing audio. I'm doing this uh, as best I can off of my, my phone and my computer uh, with, with <laughs> no, no real respectable tools. But, um, so there's no fade in, no fade out. It's just going to be 30 seconds of audio, but I guarantee it's worth it. Here it is. Boston Children's Chorus, or BCC, harnesses the power of music to connect Boston's diverse communities, cultivate empathy, and inspire social inquiry. Perhaps now more than ever, the connective capacity of music is being redefined by values like empathy, inquiry, artistry, and inclusion. Today, we'll hear from key members of BCC staff as they describe their pilot and pivot to online programming in the midst of COVID-19. Joining us today is Irene Idicheria, Chief Program Officer. Hello, Irene. Hi. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you for coming. Robbie Jacobs, Director of Artistic Programming. Hi, Jason. Welcome, Hello. Robbie. Hi. And Trey Pratt, Manager of Educational Programming. Welcome, Trey. Thank you. Glad to be here. So my family has been a part of BCC for a few years, and I, I have a, a really deep personal appreciation for what you do as individuals and what you do as an organization. But for people who aren't familiar with BCC, can you describe what normal <laughs> looked like um, at BC, B, BCC and for your community before COVID-19? Yeah, sure. I mean, the word that comes to mind when I think of BCC and describing the activity is just, it's bustling. So we had closed um, in-person programming or suspended it on a Wednesday. And on Tuesdays, we have three choirs meeting at our headquarters. And we have a training choir, an intermediate choir, and an advanced choir. So there's children 
from elementary all the way to high school there. And close to, on Tuesdays, 100 students. And they're meeting in this up 8,000 square foot space. And it really is truly bustling. If you go from one part of the campus to another, you're going to hear a folk song in round. And then you go to the um, advanced choir room, you might hear, you know, nine parts uh, in chorus together. So it's, it's a really lively, enriching, bustling space to be in. Um, but we did notice that first week before um, the announcement came or before we made our, our announcement that um, student attendance was sort of starting to dwindle a little bit and we were getting um, messages from parents just saying that they were making the decision to keep their children at home because the environment was just so unpredictable and uncertain. And let me just jump in here and say this because maybe this is something you can't say, but maybe one of the sweetest sounds on earth to my ear is the sound of, of, of children in BCC singing. And for people, uh, I would really encourage people to go onto YouTube and other places and to find as many examples as possible um, of your performances. Uh, they're really something. They're extremely polished, extremely professional. The children are really in love with what they're doing and what they're producing. And it's, it's truly something for everybody to be um, proud of. Uh, and it just, it, it's just wonderful to hear. So that's sort of this, this notion of bustling. I, I, I truly know and appreciate that and, and can just say that it is, this is, a, this is an, an, you are an impressive organization. I feel like I can say that in a way that maybe, um, Maybe you can't. Um, so as I understand it, on the day that uh, Boston's mayor shut down schools, things really started changing for you quickly. Um, in that moment, when you learned the schools were closing, what, what did you think would happen next? Sure. I mean, the, the, the critical thing is that we were really trying to hold on to um, you know, what we needed to be for our community. So, you know, we too think that the sweetest thing possible is to hear our kids singing. That's that's the bread and butter of what we do. And we were trying to figure, okay, what is our, our stance in this? How do we make sure to protect our community and not, you know, expose them, for instance, to things that, you know, are, are contagions that we don't necessarily understand at the moment. Um, and and further than that, how do we prioritize their connection and their art making uh, when, when you know we're seeing that that art making has all but stopped, um, so that first day, you know, I think it actually sort of, we might have felt it was a little humorous. I think on on Wednesday morning, Robbie, uh, <laughs> our Robbie called in and said, you know, hey guys, I have a cough. I really don't know if I should come into rehearsal tonight. And, and so we're sitting there going, mm. well, that's something that we really, really need to consider in in a light that we hadn't ever um, you know sort of considered yeah. a cough before. Yes, that feeling that. I, I just had a normal sort of cold, but we had been sending out messages to our community the week before saying, if you have any symptoms of any kind of ill health, don't come. And then I was meant to conduct a choir that evening. And I just, I felt that I had to say, it, it's not responsible for me to come in. Of course, once you make a, a decision like that, even when ultimately what really wasn't that much wrong, then that's a kind of trigger for for other conversations, and and actually it turned out to be at about the same time as as the schools were being closed, which was fortunate, and we were 
sort of bang on time, but there's strange times and decisions that you don't ever really see yourself having to make. Exactly. And I think, uh, you know, later that day, we ended up writing um, the specific choirs that were involved that evening saying, hey, you know, don't come in. I think this is Wednesday night. Um, we said, don't come in. Um, and even if you actually didn't see the emails that they showed up, we said, hey, rehearsal's canceled. Uh, we tackled it again the next day. We luckily were really reaching out to um, arts partners, you know, like organizations all over Boston who are all asking the same critical questions. Um, and so it was really inspiring to see the the reach across, you know, our little silos that develop um, in arts organizations. And it seemed like most people were definitely canceling upcoming rehearsals, et cetera. So we ended up making the call officially, I think, um, that Friday, the, the 13th. So you made that initial call. And I'm actually <laughs> very curious on that call with other organizations. Did anybody, was everybody um, just kind of trying to figure out what would happen that day and the next day? Did anybody have a sense of a plan or, or what would come next? Did you have a sense? Not of at all. And we, you know, the, the interesting thing is that arts organizations started reaching out to each other because we, we wanted to, we're all mm -hmm. searching for, you know, a barometer basically of, you know, when do we make the call? How do we make the call? Because so often we, you know, for instance, a snow day, we might rely on a school system to, to say school's canceled because of snow and the arts organizations go, great, we're canceled too, easy peasy. But with this, you know, especially for organizations that are serving folks from all over greater Boston, um, various school districts were canceling for various amounts of times and, and were canceling on different days uh, and sort of making their announcements uh, at various times. And so it was really hard to figure out where we were looking for our precedent. You know, and so on the call, it was, it was, you know, it was basically inspiring to to talk to other arts organizations and know, a, we weren't alone in making this decision, right, and that we could actually convene and converse and 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 make what feels like a collective decision as a, as an arts community. Um, and I don't think it was too long after that, BPS uh, Boston Public Schools made the call to cancel through April twenty seventh, which gave everybody a, a pretty clear. Uh, definition of what it means to to shut down for the time being. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, I know that I know that one of the things that impressed me um, about BCC when I when I saw this because it felt just so fast after that decision was made. It seems like you you took some pretty quick action, and I'm I'm curious to hear about the first decisions that you make, the first actions that you that you took, what that looked like. Yeah, well, one of the first decisions that we made was that we were not going to go anywhere. Um, it was critical to us that as soon as we closed our doors, we were still going to be able to provide resources, both for our students to continue to learn, but also for them to connect. And the minute we let families know that programming in person was going to be suspended, we set to work on taking our resources online. So that that Wednesday we met and spoke about what the different pathways were to being able to do that, exploring things like Zoom lessons, exploring uh, mm. the, the beginnings of virtual choir. In fact, that Wednesday, I think I set to work on creating the first 
BCC staff virtual choir, which was just me, Trey, Irene, um, <laughs> and our colleague Elena, and the four of us in the, each corner of the screen, um, and the pianist, so five people. Well, this week, the virtual choir that's going to be uh, released on Monday is going to have 225 people. So it's really grown from from mm. very exploratory stuff to, to now something which involves 10 choirs from all around the world and bringing people together. But what wow. we knew uh, and really key to us was we don't know what the future holds in terms of being able to be together, but our programs and our choirs are still going to be able to meet somehow and we'll be, we'll be sticking around. And in those first steps, I know that you, you made some decisions to start piloting um, some solutions. You just mentioned some of them there. As you started to think about exploring your solutions, what were the, what were the goals that you had in mind? And what were you trying to learn through a pilot um, that would inform whatever next step uh, you would take? Yeah, I think the the biggest things we were trying to figure out is, you know, a what is what was our capacity to deliver some sort of artistic engagement um, or or communal engagement, and then on the other side of that was, you know, how will our uh, constituents be able to engage with us? So you know, all of this stuff requires a sort of uh, two-sided awareness. You know, what can the, the organization do? What are our skills? What's our capacity? And then on the other end of that, really what's the, the singer's capacity to connect with us? And so much is, is involved in that sort of, um, in that, you know, big question of what is access right now? Who has access to technology? Who has access to internet? Who has access to data, right? All these questions um, in terms of, of how our people are able to connect with us that impact the kind of offerings we we were able to to give. A good thing is that the public school systems uh, seemed to mobilize really quickly in terms of getting um, computers and, and this sort of thing, Chromebooks and all that to, to school children. So we were able to rely on the idea that our people have devices at home. Um, and so we, we felt confident that they were gonna grow into platforms like Zoom uh, they were going to have access to YouTube, all of this sort of thing they would probably be able to actually um, interface with. But then it leaves a gray area of internet access and data. And, you know, how do we tackle that? What's our role in tackling that? Um, it's a complicated question that, you know, to this day, we don't have a perfect answer for at all. Uh, and, and, and I think, unfortunately, not many people do. <clears throat> It's, it sounds like a, a process of, I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to. Um, sorry, to I, else want to I just jump wanted in. to add there that it's probably worth saying um, for listeners that right at the heart of BCC's um, mission and model is uh, a focus on equi um, equity, accessibility, mm. inclusion, mm -hmm. and diversity. Mm -hmm. And um, that runs through all of our programs on a year-round basis. Our tuition payments are on a sliding scale on family income and all of our decision making is influenced by by thinking about how um, who's being included in this program, who's being excluded because of any decisions that we make. And 
that's an, an, an ongoing um, challenge for us to make our work as inclusive as it can possibly be. Now, as soon as there's the difficulty of not being able to meet in person, those challenges change. And we are um, asking ourselves new questions all the time. In some ways, we're hopeful, especially as we look to the future, that the, the geographical distance of having to get a person to BCC mm-hmm. might help us to address some uh, accessibility and equity issues. But the, it comes mm. with other challenges, like Trey was saying, with regards to who has access to the internet. Mm-hmm. And it's been interesting to see, you know, I don't know anyone else's numbers, I just know our numbers. Um, but I think last week we had um, 276 individual engagements with with our online content. Uh, and that's that's for synchronous sessions. So that's all online on Zoom, all that sort of thing. And I think about 52% of our, our people have engaged with us in some capacity, whether that's in an online voice lesson, in a live session with, you know, 52 kids and the, you know, seven to 10 year olds in a Zoom session, um, or pre-recording themselves and participating in a virtual choir. So it's been pretty, you know, I've been inspired by the, the you know, just the sheer number of folks that have been able to engage with us. It sounds like a complicated environment, a complicated thing to be navigating. Um, people, you, you, your own your own staff, you're all in different places um, with different technology setups that that nobody nobody probably knew would ever be needed for um, what you're using for them now. Um, that you have uh, you have children in households that could be totally different from one another, where their you know, situations at home and their technology situations are completely different. That's quite a lot, that's quite a lot to navigate um, and to solve for uh, in, in figuring out what the right solution is. And I'm, I would really love to hear, could you, could you paint a picture now that you have had, I think you've said, you know, about six weeks of this experimentation and pivoting, paint a picture. What is the new normal uh, for BCC look like right now? Well, yeah. a, take us through a week. Maybe. <laughs> well, I think the the first thing I'd say that is that for me personally, a new week looks fantastic for my dog. Um, he, he's getting about five walks a day. Um, some people have uh, even posited that dogs might have actually started coronavirus. Um, so that they can have uh, more time outside. But um, for, for BCC, I think one of the things that we um, have found is that um, th- this uh, working from home thing can uh, work right for us sometimes. Um, I'm sure that many people have found that where before we needed to be in the same place all the time, now some of the technical solutions seem to uh, have brought us close together without having to be in the same room. That said, there's no replacement for being in the same room when you want to make music together. And the um, mm. the capability of platforms like Zoom and Skype and um, tel- um, telephone video calls are amazing. But because of the latency of even the best internet, anyone that's tried singing together via <laughs> the internet will know that it's a complete nightmare. Um, so, so our, 
offerings now on a weekly basis look more like um, lessons than rehearsals. We've tried to mm. keep a, a regular schedule of children logging in on Zoom at the times when their normal rehearsals would be to have a, a, a rehearsal with our conductors. Um, that's happening four days a week. And in addition to that, we've been convening our singers to um, hear speeches from uh, our staff, from mm. um, our accompanist, who's a fantastic musician, from uh, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, who's head of infectious diseases at MGH Hospital, talking about coronavirus, and from fantastic civic leaders from around the city who've been talking about their experiences. So bringing together kids to sing, but also bringing together kids to continue our work in developing um, leadership and inquiry. Um, from another part of this has been the way that our social media has exploded. Previously, um, our videos on YouTube had managed to get up to a thousand views at the maximum. And now if you check out our YouTube channel, you'll find videos on there that have got up to over 90,000 views. Um, so our visibility has certainly changed. And we don't know what the future holds, but I'm sure that the way that we use the internet and reach out to people around the world is going to be really impacted by the, the work that we're doing now. We will be certain to link to your YouTube channel uh, because absolutely people should go and and uh, check out what you've been doing, what, what the kids have been doing. Um, so I... Uh, Couple, couple last questions here because you know there's just so many organizations. You you mentioned the other organizations around Boston who you talked to early on. Everybody was in a bit of a state of disarray. You know, six weeks in, I think that that sense of disarray uh, is still very much uh, there for many um, for many people, many organizations, many schools. Although I think some solutions are being worked out, but I think when you think about the solutions that you've come up with, um, what do you think that other, you know, parents out there or teachers or schools or other arts organizations, community organizations, if you think that there's something that can be taken from what you've learned and maybe applied broadly um, or, you know, taken into account as other people try to work out their own solutions, um, what do you think is something that, that is transferable? You know, when this whole thing started, we were hearing words like, and I would say, I would argue we're still hearing a lot of the, these words like unprecedented and difficult. And um, it's just so shrouded in, in doom and gloom and, and understandably so. But I remember sort of this situation room like moment when we were making the decision to migrate online and to just do this. And we had to commit to decisiveness and we had to commit to being really bold. And that boldness had to do with believing that our mission, that mission to connect people and to connect them through beautiful music making, through these values of empathy and inquiry and diversity uh, is still relevant even if we're not in the same room. And I would argue that the, the relevance is, is even heightened um, but I think through the through the um, the uncertainty of it all, 
it might sound very um, just sort of pie in the sky to say this, but I really think that this has been the anchor for all of it, is that we just zoomed in on our mission and we said, look, we have a promise to the community and we're not gonna be in the same room. And it is bizarre to think of how we are going to create these harmonious sounds over Zoom, um, but we're gonna deliver on this mission. And it has been met with, um, I think just an equal fervor from the community saying, yeah, you know, we're here for it. Uh, and so, you know, and, and, I, and I feel, you know, compelled to say that only because I think there were a lot of times through this process where there it was like, you know, having Zoom bombers come into our first couple of lessons or, you know, just what not, how many obstacles. Um, but just kind of coming back to that and saying, no, this is, this is important. We've promised to do it. We can do it and, and we will do it. I have to say, being, being somebody who's been to many, many performances, this notion of you know, empathy, boldness, decisiveness, connection, inquiry, they're very clear in, in the, way, the way these performances happen, the songs that you choose, the arrangements, the way you have the children moving around on stage, the, the notes and the, 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 the short speeches that are given between performances, all of that is, your intent and mission is extremely apparent in, in the performance space. And um, I guess it shouldn't be any surprise to me that, um, that, that those things permeate everything that you do at all levels. And it sounds like that's really the case. It's not just about what's happening on stage, not just about how you're directing the students, but that these are ideals that guide your organization operationally um, in terms of how you lead, how you think, how you act. And it sounds like maybe in this case, having such a strong existing core made it easier to act uh, in this in this instance and under such incredible pressure well it's definitely the case that um, our principles have guided the way that we've responded to this crisis i i should be upfront to say that there's no way that we've made all the right decisions and when we have made mistakes our kids <laughs> have been straight in there to tell us what we've got wrong and and sometimes that can be hard feedback to hear but it's in the it's in the dna of our organization that the kids are um a part of making decisions and we have trained into them over a long time that when they see something in the organization that they don't like that they're going to let us know and their contributions have helped us to formulate the the responses to what's happened exactly and the the kids are i mean they're just remarkable young people and to, they're always a reminder as we go through our, our practice which which does equal a product on stage right but the but the living breathing practice survives week to week even virtually and the you know the kids help us carve out that space for empathy help us carve out that space for artistry um, even when we, we have to reimagine the whole thing. And I'll just quickly add, it's an 
anecdote from all that is that, you know, we had sort of jumped into creating um, so many opportunities for music education and the continued learning, right? And some of our advanced singers just said to us, you know, that's all fine and good, but um, what about just picking up the phone and giving us a call and asking us how we are? <laughs> and, you know, that was a, a real pivot moment for us too, because we thought, oh, well, that's, wow, really important. And that, again, because they guided us, we, we made that a priority too. Um, but that came from their, their voice, their advocacy, and um, just their own understanding of what their peers are experiencing and what our role should be in that too, to, to just be a voice of encouragement as well, not just a sort of, you know, raw, raw music education, but to also check in with them. So what do you think BCC will look like in the future? Well, obviously at the moment, this future is incredibly uncertain. There's no way that we can possibly predict what the next months are gonna look like. For BCC, I, I think that what we do know is that we are absolutely committed to our mission. We're committed to our values and we're committed to our community and that whatever the circumstances that are coming in the next few months, we are going to be there for our, for our people. We're going to be there as a way for them to connect. We're going to be there as a way for them to make music and learn about singing. And we're going to be there as a way to bring people together and, and, and to support the people that we care about. So it's hard to know what a, a, an accurate picture of the future looks like, but BCC is going to be uh, a stalwart and a pillar, and um, we're ready for it. That is the perfect place. Um, that is the perfect place to to end. Um, I, I really want to thank you, um, Irene, Edith Sharia, Robbie Jacobs, and Trey Pratt. And I've learned a lot in this conversation, and I just want to thank you for joining us as the first guests on our podcast. Thank, thank you. you. So So there we go. That's it. Our first episode. Thank you for listening. Our goal is to create one of these a week. Um, you can contact if you'd like, uh, contact us if you'd like at imperfectmap at jackrabbitlx.com. And Imperfect Map is a production of Jackrabbit Learning Experience. And I'm your host, Jason Gorman. I just want to add some, a special thanks to the Jackrabbit team. They've been unbelievably supportive, have provided some amazing ideas um, in the process of, of putting this first episode together. And I'm sure they're going to be really integral going forward. So thank you guys. And as we go out here, uh, I wanted to play one more song from the BCC for you. This is Ain't No Mountain. Enjoy. <laughs>